The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you all back. But let me tell you, our guest today is amazing. He is an author and the managing partner of SIH Capital Group, Dennis Shapiro. Dennis, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Thanks, Cody, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, man. Thanks for joining us. For those that maybe want to know, Dennis was super kind. We had some uh, different times. We had to move some stuff around. So he's super great to jump on here and, and being flexible with time and dates. Dennis, for those that are maybe hearing your name and voice for the first time, hopefully it's not, but if they are, would love to get your origin story, where you're from, how you got into real estate, and what you're really doing in real estate these days. Sure. Uh, so my story, my origin story goes back to 2002, I believe. So I was 14. I was around 14 at the time. My oldest brother gave me a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I absolutely hated the book. And we're in like a family where if one of us finds something good, we kind of like brainwash everybody else to thinking the same thing. So he gave me a copy of Rich Dad Poor Dad. He was really excited. He was 22 at the time. It was much more appropriate for him. And I didn't have the mentality to really read it at that time. And I'm, I'm a natural cynic, which has always carried with me on my investment career. So I'm like, wow, this guy's probably making way more money on his book tours and all of this stuff than the stuff he actually preaches. Uh, you know, later on, I had a complete 180 on, on the actual book. I read it multiple times, absolutely love the book now, but I did hate it. I did get one thing out of it was I should be buying assets. I think I had a part-time job at that, po at that point. Uh, I was making like $5 an hour. I, I think I saved up for like $1,000 and I bought my first mutual fund because my oldest brother bought a mutual fund. So I had no idea what I was doing. I remember I actually was old enough to uh, remember when I actually had to pay for a trade. So I paid like $7 for that trade. Uh, I was with Scott Trade at the time. And I think I waited a year where I was like checking in like daily. I'm like, am I rich yet? Am I rich yet? Am I rich yet? And I was like, wow, you know, this isn't really working out. I think the whole year went by. I think I made the $7 back that I, I paid in commission. And I was like, okay, so this isn't really what I had in mind. Uh, so from there, I kind of went down the rabbit hole of traditional equities. Like at 15, I started reading about Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch and started watching, you know, CNBC. And that was my trajectory. Like I thought I was going to be like the next Warren Buffett. And I went to college with that intention. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depends on how you look at it, I went to college smack in the middle of the global financial crisis. So when I started college, I wanted to be the next Warren Buffett. By the time I finished college, I just wanted a job. I remember it was a funny time period because I remember I was going for internship interviews. And in the finance space, usually there's like a couple of interviews. So if you do well on the first one, you go to the second one. And I remember by the time you get to like the second or third one, like the company was like out of business. So it, it was a dramatic time period. And I was in New York City at that time. So I think that amplified everything. So I finished my bachelor's and I was looking around. I was like, well, I can't get a job. I wanted to be the next Warren Buffett, but you know, it's the crisis going on. What should I do? So I was like, oh, I should go back to school. And I went back for my MBA. I was really fortunate. My school took me without really any executive experience. And they usually do require it. I had a couple of teachers kind of vouch for me. And while I was getting my grad, my MBA, 
I got recruited for the government. And as I started and I was like, wow, this is really nice. Like I'm not going through like all these hoops and whistles and they actually want me. And I, I took the job and I remember the first paycheck I got. I was like, wow, it's great. They're not only my employer, they're also my business partner because of the amount of taxes they're taking out. So I think literally the day I came home from my first like real paycheck, my first, I, I Googled like how to pay less taxes. And like the first, I think I remember my search being like all illegal stuff coming up. And then I was like, I had to refine it and put, how do I pay less taxes legally? I had to actually clarify that. And like the first thing that popped up was like real estate. Uh, so I went back to exactly what I shouldn't have done. I went to my oldest brother who had real estate at the time. And I was like, do you want to sell something? He, he like looked at his whole portfolio. I was like, yeah, this one. Like it literally, I should have took that as a bad sign. Right. Uh, so yeah, he, don't don't trust your brother on what he wants to sell. sell like, yeah. Don't trust anybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They if they, if they're sell. just willing to sell it right off the street, probably a bad sign. Yeah. So I made every mistake known to man, but I bought my first single family rental. Uh, I dealt with e- evictions and break-ins and low-income housing and just everything possible. It was just it, it was. Given that that's my origin, it's not a surprise that it didn't turn out well. So I knew I didn't want to scale this whole, I didn't want to scale that side of my life. Uh, so what I started doing was I, I got into more passive stuff with with note funds and ATM funds. I was like, wow, this is better. I'm not dealing with all this stuff. And then I had a moment where I discovered apartment building syndications, which I called like the gateway drug of, of alternative investments. And then when I kind of got into that track, it opened the door to self-storages and mobile home parks. And I kept building out a more and more diverse portfolio of alternative investments. And then I realized that even though they're different, they have so many different, so many similarities. So if you start learning the basics and underwriting apartment buildings, you kind of could look at a, a self storage deal, a mobile home park, because all the commercial real estate terms kind of intersect with each other. So I never stopped. So during this whole process, I never really stopped giving up on my equities my traditional side. I just streamlined it. I went through all these different like income strategies from investing in stocks like utilities and the high paying dividend stocks and REITs and MLPs and all these recommended strategies. And what I realized was after they kept failing one by one, what I really wanted was what the alternative side kind of provided. So what I realized is if I simplified my traditional side and I simplified and you know bought like a low cost index fund and set it for and forget it, I had a lot of time and energy to apply to the alternative side, which required underwriting and networking and doing due diligence and evaluating business plans. And I realized that the marriage of the two was like my secret sauce. When I when I came to that realization, that's when my my career my investment career kind of took off. So I, I know that was a lot. So I'll let you know. Oh, yeah, no, no, I love it. I tell people all the time on the show, like I, I love hearing people's origin stories because everyone brings a different background and dynamics to to what they're going to do in real estate. And I think one of the most important things, which is kind of a running theme on the show, is it doesn't really matter where you're coming from in real estate, as long as you have the time, energy, passion to put in to understanding it, getting to know it. It, it, it can and will pay off. You got to you got to put those things into it, but it doesn't really matter what your background was because you can you can leverage the things you know and have done from an experience standpoint to help you out in real estate. I came from a sales background, so the thing that was easy for me when I when I jumped into real estate was 
being able to connect with people or the ability to try to connect with them, right? Because I, I was used to cold calling. I was used to emailing. I was used to going to networking events. Those types of things came natural to me because I've been trained over the past like 12 to 14 years doing that kind of thing. Whereas that's not everyone's strong suit. And, and I definitely have a partner that is strong in a lot of areas that I'm not. So I think I love the origin stories and coming in. But I know from, from your experience and your time in the game, you probably have some unsuccess stories that, that have come up and, and some struggles or, or challenges that you face. So want to know which one really comes to mind for you today and help our audience understand and hopefully uh, a lesson out of it as well. So it's funny. It's almost like every single major investment I ever in, like started has been a failure. So my first mutual fund was a failure. My first single family rental was a huge failure. My first apartment building syndication wasn't a big success. So I would say the concept of going out and trying first is literally just expect to fail. So I know the answer is really to go on one specific, but you could take any one of those moments and they're all life-changing experiences because it wasn't like I had a bad experience with mutual funds and I was like, well, I'll never trade a stock again in my life. I was like, no, I, I see I could just do it differently. It's not that when I bought my first single family rental and it literally was one of the worst possible experiences ever that I stop and say, I'll never buy another piece of real estate. It was like, maybe I should do multifamily or maybe what was the problem? Maybe it's the low income side of it. So, and then when I did my first syndication, when I knew nothing about anything and I was like, oh, look at these projected returns. They look fantastic. Let me sign up for this. And so my big aha moment is expect to fail your first time. And just don't don't let that bother you. Just expect to fail and take caution. Like I failed my first in every single one, but the second time was just always a hundred times better because in a way, a good a good way is like you said, a low bar. So it's easy to be. Just don't don't quit at it. Don't be like, okay, this is just the worst thing ever. I'm just never gonna do it again. So let me ask you for those that are listening. Uh, I know we got a lot of folks that are either relatively new to real estate, looking to jump into real estate, whether actively or passively. If the expectation or thought is that, hey, you're not going to succeed probably as, as much as you would like, or even at all on, on some of your first opportunities, what kept you going? And what was it that helped you evaluate the failures and struggles you were having to make it where you could learn from those and apply it down the road? I would say time. I was never in a position like obviously as a 14 year old, if I lost my first thousand dollars, big deal. When I bought my first real estate property, even though I look back at it, I'm like, wow, I could have, it was 2012. I could have literally thrown my money in the air and probably have a better return than I, what I ended up doing. But, you know, big deal. Same thing with the syndication. Now, honestly, the, the, each kind of, it's funny because each investment that I just described of my failures have exponentially grown. So my first failure was only $1,000. My second failure was probably like a $12,000 down payment uh, and a ton of opportunity cost. And my third failure was probably $50,000. So hopefully my fourth failure is not going to be $500,000. But the, the point is, it, I, I was never in a position where this is like my life savings. It was, it was, it was always a small piece of allocation. It was always, let me try this. I always kind of had a full-time job. And when I learned it better, I felt more comfortable of constantly going all in because there were times that I kind of went all in in the stock world. And there was times where probably at this point in my life, I'm all in on commercial real estate. So 
I, I'm okay with dabbling when I'm starting out. And then when I feel like I have a good grasp of it, that's when you go all in on it. So help me, help me with this. Cause I'm thinking through what you're saying. And I, and one of the things that I, I keep coming back to in my head is if I'm new to real estate, especially like if I want to get into commercial real estate, real estate syndication on the passive investing side could be probably a great vehicle to help mitigate risk. You can learn a lot from the sponsors and the operators that are, that are doing the deal, especially if you got a good one that you can send out good information. And then you take that information you're getting and you kind of do your research and say, okay, how do I underwrite these deals? How are they getting the returns they're probably getting? Asking those types of questions and then doing your own research to figure it out. Would you say that's a good way for somebody that wants to get into commercial real estate to, to dip their toe in the water while helping mitigate risk and, and but getting into it and understanding kind of the back end of it. Yeah, you know that that's a great point. So one thing I'll say is that there's like how you say mitigate. Unfortunately, like when I was younger, I was more like, oh, you know, look, my Yahoo uh, Finance portfolios, my mock portfolio is doing really well. I must know what I'm talking about. So let me put a lot of money into it. It's hard to do that with alternative space. Because there's no real platform that you're going to mock up a bunch of private securities. Because a lot of times the private securities, you might even sign NDA, so no one really knows. But the one huge advantage you have in the alternative investment world, which I think is what you're alluding to, is building up your knowledge and your network. And if you could do those two things, you can absolutely mitigate a lot of risk. Like There was no reason why I rushed into that first private placement $50,000 deal. There was absolutely none. Uh, so I I write in my book, The Alternative Investment Almanac, about the steps you should be taking to mitigating those risks. And the very first one is to learn the language. And commercial real estate has its own unique language that has a set group of terminology. Like if you don't know what an NOI is or a cap rate is, you shouldn't be wiring $50,000. It's that simple. So I always say it should take you a couple of months to really learn the language. Uh, I always say like a quick tip is like if you go on your LinkedIn, just put the word real estate investor underneath your profile. You will get hit up with so many of these like 15 to 30 minute phone calls. Like just go in there, expect that those calls will be spammy, but use that to actually learn the language. So here what the words are speaking. So if a mortgage broker who is trying to build up their investor list calls you, see what terms he's saying and write down any that you don't understand. And if you do that for a couple of months, even one call a week, you will learn the language of commercial real estate. And then once you learn the language of commercial real estate, that's when you start going to conferences because you don't want to go to those places without any base of knowledge because then you're going to come off as you're looking for like help versus you're looking to network. And you'd never want to come off as you're looking for, to help. I mean, not you should come off as you're looking to help. You shouldn't come off as you're looking for help. Uh, so by learning the language that allows you to network with other like-minded people, and once you have built up maybe four or five of other people who are investing in these private securities, your doors will open up. You'll be like, hey, what are the best operators you're dealing with? Because they probably already have money committed into these deals. Getting one of these five people's recommendations can lower your learning, uh, can significantly increase your learning curve significantly. So those are the type of things you should be able to do. And I kind of only, it's in hindsight that I could kind of say it. And I was happy to lay this out in the book where I probably 
would have redone my first investment. But there were a lot of great things that did happen because of that first investment. So I'll say this, in the private security world, it's definitely not cheap. But if you're willing to network and invest your time, you can mitigate tons of those risks. So I think that's a great point, Cody. Well, and and to your point, Dennis, I mean, right now is probably one of the best times if you're looking to get in to 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 start networking because many of us are depending on the state and town and city are are still in some sort of lack of travel, you know, again, depending on where you're at in the country, in the world, you may not be able to travel as much as some others. So a lot of these networking opportunities are one online and two free. So to your point, go on LinkedIn, search real estate, search commercial real estate, search whatever asset class you want to be in. And I guarantee you can find more than one free meetup with other like-minded individuals that you can do over Zoom. And you can get a free Zoom account and log in and listen and learn. And then a shameless plug on our website, vindukapital.com, you can go look at some of those terms that you mentioned and get some of those definitions if you're not sure where to find them. Dennis, that that's amazing. I, I can't thank you enough. I think that's as good enough spot as ever to really wrap up. For those that want to read your book, want to work with you, want to partner with you, where's the best place folks can find you at? Uh, so the best place, well, for my book, it's it's Amazon. Uh, if you search the Alternative Investment Almanac, Expert Insights on Building Personal Wealth in Non-Traditional Ways by Dennis Shapiro. Uh, Dennis is spelled with one N, not two. In terms of the best place to connect with me, it's at sihcapitalgroup.com. If you go on my site, you will see uh, I created two abridged versions of my book. The Alternative Investment Almanac, the way I structured the book was all these different alternative assets that I've been coming across with in regards to apartment buildings, mobile home parks, self-storage, ATM funds. I created one book where you didn't have to read 300 pages to realize if an asset class is not right for you. So it's an easy way. You read 20 pages. You're like, well, this is really cool. There's all these pros and cons. And I'm really big into the cons because I'm an investor first and a fund operator second. Uh, so I tried to lay it out. And then after the 20, 30 pages of content, you get into Q&As with two experts, investors and operators in the space. So if you like what you read, you also have a great landing place to reach out to two operators as well as myself. So if you go onto my website, what I did is I created abridged versions of my book. So I did an abridged version of the content in my book, and I did a abridged version of the Q&As in my book. So if you just go on sihcapitalgroup.com, if you sign up to my email list, you could get one of each, and you, you could actually even get both if you just sign up. Um, and that's basically it. That's the best place to reach me, sihcapitalgroup.com. Perfect. Well, Dennis, again, thank you so much for joining us. I, I truly appreciate it. We've learned a lot. And I appreciate you making time for us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And thanks to everyone for listening there at home. We'll catch everyone next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.